0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. If you love this show, and if you listen every day, but you're one of the many, many listeners who has never made a donation to WDET before, please make now the time that you support us for the first time. Local shows like Detroit Today are the most expensive part of WDET, and as a nonprofit, we are always trying to be mindful of every dollar. The pandemic and the loss of commercial activity has really hit WDET hard, just like lots of other businesses in our community. And your gift today takes us a step closer to raising the amount of money we need to fill a pretty significant gap by September 30th, which is the end of our fiscal year. So if you value Detroit Today, if you value essential music, if you value Culture Shift and the other great local programming that we have here on WDET, now's the time to secure those programs. And you can do that with your gift at WDET.org. And as always, thanks very much to the many, many people who have stepped up since we started raising this money to make sure that all of the things we love about WDET stay with us into the future. Up first today, WDET's book club is back for the third consecutive year. And throughout this summer, we have been delving into this year's pick, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, conversing with contemporary authors and experts about what the book means in the context of the world today. You can tune into the discussions about Ellison's Invisible Man right here on Detroit Today. You can also join the conversation online in our Facebook group called WDET Book Club. A lot of you have already started reading Ellison's novel, which was published in 1952 and won the National Book Award for fiction the following year. It is considered one of the most formative works of the 20th century, and it's notable for Ellison's uncanny storytelling and the book's really candid discussions of race, identity, and ideology in American society. Ellison's probing of power and inequality has never felt more urgent or pertinent than it does right now. Today, we're going to talk with someone who thinks and writes a lot about social justice, about racism, politics, and power. Reverend Jim Wallace is the founder, president, and editor-in-chief of Sojourners, and is the author of 12 books, including America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege, and the bridge to a new America. Reverend Jim Wallace, it is always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Welcome to the program.
1: Well, it's wonderful to be here. And as you know, I'm a Detroit homeboy. It's my hometown. (laughs) Yes. I'm part of the Detroit diaspora. So your pitch just now worked with me, and I'm going to send a donation to WDET.
0: Oh, that's wonderful.
1: (laughs) If After this, you'd send me the appropriate information. I want to contribute to uh, your voice saying strong in Detroit because yeah. it's really necessary.
0: Yeah, so Jim, of course. I'll I help I've, out. I really appreciate that and all of us do here uh, at WDET. Um so I want to I want to start with uh, your book, America's Original Sin. You and I have talked a couple of times on the program since it was mm-hmm. published about the book and the themes contained inside. But I really feel like right now, mm-hmm. the things right. you were writing about, this is in 2015 that America's Original Sin gets published, are even more poignant and even more relevant than they were when you were, were working on this book and, and published it. I, I would love to hear how you are taking in the events that we see right now. Uh, the protests in the streets, the attention to sure. systemic racism and police brutality, and and how you feel they reflect the mm-hmm. very things you were trying to get people to pay attention to four mm-hmm. years ago, five years ago.
1: Yeah. Well, I have never heard the phrase America's original sin more spoken than I have in the last two months. <laughs> Never in my life have I heard so many references to that phrase "America's original sin," and uh, tying this back to Ralph Ellison, which I'm so glad you're doing. Um, you know, that powerful book is saying that all of this, all of this uh, systemic uh, racism, this oppression, is 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 felt every day by every black person in America, and 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 they often feel invisible, that it's invisible, and it's not seen, and how, in this moment, it's becoming more visible. I, I've wondered what Ralph Ellison would be thinking about what's happening in our streets, and because, I think, uh, we, during that pandemic, uh, we're still in it, but in those days of pandemic, You know, we're so much more shut down, we're remote, we're at home, and people having to go out to work and being more vulnerable when they do, all that's true, but we were all kind of watching, 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 and then Minneapolis happens, and this this excruciating eight minutes and 46 seconds Mm -hmm. with a white police knee on the black neck of George Floyd was seen. Uh, by more people, we've had videos before, as you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was seen by more people and and watched and and somehow it's it's mm-hmm. in biblical terms it's I would call it a Kairos moment, a moment which is more than just time, but it spiritually impacts and changes things because somehow eight minutes and forty six seconds became uh, a time to talk about 401 years mm. Mm. of America's original sin. And uh, and now what has been so invisible is being made more visible, especially to a lot more white people who just never saw this before and are now finally seeing it. And so that neck, every black parent who saw that, neck, white sure. neck on the black knee, saw their kids under that neck, their yeah. sons and daughters, and saw themselves under that knee. But white parents, by and large, hadn't, didn't, and now they begin to listen and to understand how that neck is not just a neck, but a system, mm. uh, a culture, a habit, uh, a practice, uh, an idol, um, a sin, and in fact, America's original sin. He thought he would get away with it because that knee always gets away with it. But this time, it didn't. So whether this moment uh, becomes a movement with the momentum to change systems and policies is now the task before us. But what was invisible, Ralph Ellison said so well, is becoming more visible, uh, and COVID itself, COVID has laid bare, has verified, revealed what a lot of us have been trying to say for a long time of the of the deep inequities in our system in terms of how many more Black people are getting sick than white people, how many more Black people are dying. All of the Black staff members of mine have lost. All of them have lost. Uh, family members and loved ones, all of them, <laughs> every black pastor has to deal with with his congregation getting sick three oh one times more than whites and dying six to one uh, these are facts now that are verifiable that we've seen that can't be denied anymore. So what does that mean then about health care and about policing and about all these things that impact black lives so differently and I learned this in Detroit in my hometown. Right. A long time ago, when, um, uh, you know, I was trying to understand what was going on. I was a teenage kid, and, you know, there was something very big, very wrong going on in my city, in my country. And nobody in my white church and school and neighborhood would talk about it. We just would never be willing to talk about it. There were just innocent teenage questions. And finally, I always tell young young people, follow your question, I mean, trust your questions and follow them to mm-hmm. <laughs> so wherever they t- take it. So my took, took me into what was called as, you know, the inner city and, and I took jobs alongside young, young black men like, like me, but they're black and I was white. I'm making money for college to go to Michigan state and they're making money for their families. And I, the more I worked alongside, got to know, listened to, became friends with people, I realized that we had born been born in Detroit, same city, but had grown up in literally different countries. Mm. And so that was the beginning for me in Detroit of understanding uh, what was invisible in the media in the narrative. Narrative was so painfully yeah. immediate and visible, not just for Ralph Ellison, but for all the young guys I was working with and their families who I got to meet.
0: Yeah. So so one of the things that I think is really striking about, again, this moment and the way that things from the past and things from the present are kind of converging is the cover of your book, uh, America's Original Sin, which depicts depicts the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the site of the civil rights movement's march from Selma to Montgomery and Bloody Sunday. And, of course, this week the country is mourning – the loss of congressman john lewis Uh, talk about just the again the 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 significance of all of these things being put back in front of us at this time
1: well uh, john lewis is the only quote politician unquote that I ever let um, hold one of my babies, <laughs> my kids. <laughs> so we've got this picture uh, here. I'm looking at now of, of uh, John holding my son Luke, who just graduated from Haverford College, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he tweeted about this when when John died. The, the, the honor of being in the presence of that man. He was a mentor. He was an elder. He was a friend. He was a colleague. And I remember on the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, there was this. Ceremony, and uh, you know, and Barack Obama came and was the first family, and, and and John Lewis got to introduce uh, the President of the United States, the black Red. He said, "I never thought I would be doing this." Right? <laughs> and, uh, then then Obama said uh, how honored he was to be just standing next to John Lewis, and then some of us got invited to, to, to march again up across that bridge with all the foot soldiers who were there. Ct Vivian, who also just passed, yes. was right there. I was marching just by his side. He was still straight and tall. The way he stood, <laughs> up. and and John and people in walkers were there, who were on that bridge on that bloody Sunday, who or wheelchairs still marching. There. And we got to the top of the bridge, and and I and I gave John, John he had this big hug. It was just tears were just falling down my face. I looked at the looked at the at Selma in the country from the top of the bridge and uh here we are here we were and we had come so far yet now we're fighting literally uh, some of those same battles as John would say over again when there's there's just there's strategies there's uh work in process in place uh to uh, suppress black votes hmm. in key states and so, you know, in honor of John Lewis, uh, Jim Jim Clyburn put forward the Voting Rights Restoration John Lewis Bill. Now, but practically, we're working sojourners in the uh, the African American National uh, Clergy Network of uh, uh, It's called Lawyers and Collars, where collars clergy are joining with lawyers to protect vulnerable votes votes of color in nine key states including michigan Mm. and i've been on the phone with a number of your pastors in detroit elsewhere and plans are in place to protect black votes clergy callers and lawyers working Mm. side by side and now that's all in honor of john lewis so john was saying before he died uh he, he would say the the vote is, is the best, most important, nonviolent tool that we have to change things. That's why his whole life was fought for that. And now we're fighting again. We're fighting now again It's active strategic plans uh, by the White House mm-hmm. and by the Republican Party to steal this election. If this election were uh, if this election is free, fair and safe, uh, it's it's out, outcome is certain. But that's why, uh, and I'm sorry to be political on your show, but the White House and the Republican Party intend to steal the election. Mm. And people of faith have got to block that and not let that happen. And I think John Lewis would be telling us to get into trouble
0: mm.
1: and mm. get in the way.
0: As he said, get into good efforts, trouble. Right?
1: <laughs> get into good trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which the, you know, I, I, the one person, who, white person who told me, when I was raising all these questions in Detroit years ago, well, how, come, how come we live so different from like Detroit? That's what I'm learning and hearing. I'm you know, following the news now, reading the papers, having conversations. and They said, you're too young to ask these questions, or when you get older, you'll understand, or we don't know why it's this way either, but it's always been this way. Mm-hmm. I got one honest answer. It said, you know, as a son, if you keep asking these questions, you're going to get into a great deal of trouble.
0: That proved to be true. I'm talking with Jim Wallace, Reverend Jim Wallace, who's the founder, president, and editor in chief of Sojourners and is also the author of 12 books, including America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege, and The Bridge to a New America. Uh, We're talking with him as part of our WDET book club where we are as a community reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison and talking about how the themes in that book written in the 1950s really reflect some of the things that are still going on in America today. Uh, If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call and uh, let us know if you've witnessed a change in public perception around ideas like white privilege have your own views on race, inequality, and privilege changed? And what is your relationship to America or Detroit's history of racism? Is it something that maybe you're thinking a little more about right now as you see these very large and sustained protests in American streets against systemic racism and police brutality? Also, give us a call and tell us what you think your personal responsibility is to be part of of societal change what is it that you can do differently uh, in your life that might make the world a little better for uh, people who are victims of the systems of inequality that we have here in America uh, as always the number on the phones is 3135771019 that's 3135771019 you can also go to the WDET facebook page and put comments there or Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will get to your phone calls for Reverend Jim Wallace and continue our conversation about Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Uh, and as always, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today
1: You've heard us talking about WDET's financial situation. Here's an update from WDET General Manager, Mary Zatina.
2: The cost to run WDET this fiscal year is $4.6 million. As of now, there's still $1.7 million left to raise before the fiscal year ends September 30th. 250 people stepped up to support WDET for the very first time during this crisis, and I'm asking all of you who have not given a gift of support yet to give your first gift now. Please know that your support is always deeply appreciated and is even more critical now. If you've never supported WDET before and you can afford to make a gift for those who cannot, I hope you will make a gift and encourage your friends and family to join Team DET.
1: Now is the time to support WDET. Give online at WDET.org.
0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I'm talking with Reverend Jim Wallace, the founder, president, and editor in chief of Sojourners, also the author of the book America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege, and The Bridge to a New America. We're talking with him as part of our WDET book club, where we are reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, talking about the themes in that book, talking about how those themes are echoing in the conversations that we're having right now in America. If you want to join the conversation, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Brad in Shelby Township. Brad, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, how are you?
3: Good. You? Good. Good.
0: Me too. <laughs> go ahead, Brad.
3: Uh, yeah, I was at the Blue Lives uh matter last night in shelby township it was peaceful got a lot of support black lives matter managed to, they had a counter protest and they came by and they did their, you know yelling and screaming thing and a uh, couple got arrested but they're more of a nuisance out here than they, you know, a bunch of high school kids laying out in the middle of the road somebody's gonna get hurt but you know as far as i'm concerned that's on them but uh this will blow over
0: what will blow over Brian?
3: Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement,
0: and what do you mean by that? Uh,
3: they go around, but they go around bullying people and trying to intimidate people. Well, you know, people have just gotten sick of it.
0: Hmm. And so, know so Brad, there in Shelby Township, one of the things that people are upset about, and there are a lot of things I think on people's minds, is some of the stuff that the sheriff there, uh, the police chief, said about african-americans what what do you make of those things
3: what what was that that uh, offends people uh,
0: you don't think uh saying things about black people uh racist things about black people well it's
3: a matter of perception you know Is i it? mean from what i've seen black lives matter if you look cockeyed at anybody you're racist and a white supremacist and with the governor we have an office She's she just running for VP. She couldn't care
1: less about this state.
0: Hmm.
1: Hey, well, Brad, could I, could I ask you a question, Brad? Since you called and I was on the show here, can I ask you a question? Can you hear me?
3: Yes, I can hear you.
1: Great. Let me ask you a question. So I was a Little League coach for uh, uh, 22 seasons, my two boys, 11 years, 22 seasons. I coached a lot of kids, black and white kids, in Washington, D.C., every black kid I ever coached uh, their their dad or mom would have the talk with them the talk about how to behave and be careful and behave in the presence of a police officer a white police officer how they should be careful and behave the head the talk and Only no way
3: police can, can officer can I Brad, him, Brad. can
1: I finish Brad, my sir, question Brad can I let him Brad can I finish my question back to you yeah. Uh no white parents ever had that talk with their kids.
3: How do you kids. know? Uh, that
1: because I know. Part, that, Brad, you're, you're Brad, going to have a conversation. About, right? you got to listen, Brad.
3: Sure. Go ahead. Okay?
1: I'm trying to. Uh, and so uh, when when every black parent I know, I'm a Christian, black Christians I know, moms and dads, can tell you stories about how they have been. Uh, badly treated by police uh, and, and their families. What do you make of that? What do you make of all those black parents and black Christian parents I know uh, all have those stories. Are those stories believable to you? Are they made up? Are they? Uh, do you not believe what black parents no, are same feeling same and saying?
3: Absolutely true. But you're trying to. Uh, they're trying to say that it's uh, systemic, and that's a load of bunk.
1: Well, Brad. all black, all black parents, Brad, All black parents, and what they say about their experience and what happens to their kids. You want to say is all a load of bunk. All the black churches in Detroit. All the black people that uh, you want to really say it's all a load of bunk. It's, you know, you're just coming across with a victim mentality.
0: Well, Brad, you know? I, I think, and again, I want to I want to thank you for calling. I really do always appreciate that that people who don't necessarily see the world the way I do listen to the show and want to call and be a part of it. But, Brad, I'm, I I really wish you might expose yourself to a little more of American history. I really wish you would expose yourself a little more to Black people today. To see what our lives are like, to see how differently we have to live from the way that uh, that you that you are are able to uh, this idea that it's bunk that, for instance, that I as a successful African American man in this society still have to sit down with my children who are incredibly financially privileged and explain to them that. All kinds of things can happen to them just because of the color of their skin, especially when they interact with the police. Uh, the idea that, uh, that you don't know that that's true uh, is, is about your, your worldview and, and what you're exposing yourself to. And I really implore you, Brad, spend some more time reading about the 400-year history of not just slavery but discrimination – uh, and expose yourself to the things that that shape black people's lives. It's not bunk. It's truth. And I don't think of myself as a victim. I am victimized though by the system of inequality that guides this country. And and that's just uh, something we've got to we've got to be able to to talk about from a position of truth and and understanding. So, Brad, again. Thanks for the call. Really do appreciate it. Um, Dennis in Dearborn, you're up next. What's on your mind?
2: Hi. Hi. Good morning. I, yeah. I just, uh, I, just real quick, I got a little bit of biblical background, and I remember in biblical criticism that you, you start with the words, then you go and you search for context, and then you go for more history. So to say Black Lives Matter, just start with those words. Don't go to uh, worry about socialism or communism or anything just take those words start there and then fill in the context but that's not what i called about um i'm 73 years old i'm retired um i, I had some uh, i i'm frustrated because i was an activist in the 60s but uh i i really thought things just would settle so i i didn't stay activist so i just encourage people uh like so John Lewis is saying we got to start over again and do the same thing again until it becomes generational change. But I, I had polio when I was young, and my parents were, uh, they, were they were affluent, and they had a, a young lady come in and help with the housekeeping. Uh, she was African-American, and I can remember being four or five years old, petting her arm, and then she just looked at me without anything, and she said, that's my God gift and uh, that, that stuck, so that's five years old. So I'm in there six years old or something. We had, a, we had a car in the garage that went to a junk dealer, and an African-American man came to take the car, and he had, to, he, had to, uh, he had to relieve himself, and he said, I'm going to the back of the garage. Well, here I'm six years old, and I'm saying, no, 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 you're in trouble for going to, to the bathroom outside, so come into the house, come into the house. So I brought him into the house, took him upstairs, and my poor mom, my poor mom just, it was a growth moment for the two of us. But mm. I said, that, that was impressive. I, I just, no, the color of your skin is not going to let you do something that I've been told can't be done outside. Mm. Mm. And, then, and then when uh, we were affluent at first, but the polio got three of us in the family and took the money away. Uh, when I was about seven years old, we rented rooms out. And we rented a room out to a gentleman from Florida. And he that was 1940 or 57 because he had a brand new Pontiac convertible took us for a ride. And he was very prejudiced and said things about black people that that kind of came in. But he said one thing to me, he said, just remember, you're free when you're 21. You'll be free, white and 21. You can do anything you can. Mm. And, and I hate that statement. Yeah. But I'll tell you, it's in my recorder. I think of that. It comes back. It pops up. I have to push it aside and get rid of it. But that's how ingrained it can be. Yeah, Dennis,
0: Dennis, I really appreciate uh, your call and your sharing that that perspective. Uh, Jim Wallace, we only have about a minute left in the the segment, but uh, I want to give you a chance to respond to what Dennis was saying there.
1: Well, you know, uh, Dennis is talking about – Uh, relationships, (laughs) I mean, when my dad came back from World War II to Detroit, GIs like him got, uh, an FHA loan to buy a house, all the GIs like him, all the white GIs, Mm -hmm. no black sailors on his ship got that. Mm -hmm. Uh, he got a, he got a, they got free education and an easy house. That made us middle class. Uh, and so Detroit banks pre- prevented black families from buying new houses. They did. And so that way back then, that structured our, ge- our geography, racially structured our geography. So the kind of contacts and relationships and connections that made a difference for Dennis, that doesn't happen when you don't ever see or know or get to know or listen to people's stories. When moms talk about their the future of their kids <laughs> their fears their hopes their health it's a bonding thing but that doesn't happen much across racial lines because we have been separated and segregated to not know each other and that's what what uh the other caller clearly has has no knowledge right. of the experience of black people he calls it bunk well uh has had these encounters and it's affected him so the the future is about changing systems. It's also about changing our relationships so we can understand each other's stories and talk about our kids and our health and the future. And that will make us understand how we've got to go into this together and find a way for these systems to work for all of us. And until that happens, we can't rest.
0: Yeah. Okay, Jim Wallace, founder, president and editor in chief of Sojourners and author of America's Original Sin, Racism, White Privilege and the Bridge to a New America. It is always great to talk with you. Thank you very much for being here.
1: Love to come back to Detroit like this. I love it. (laughs) Yes, yes. Always
0: wonderful to have you come home.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, thank you.
0: All right. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib about her campaign for reelection. Next Tuesday is the Democratic primary. She has a tough race. We'll hear why she is seeking another two years in Congress. Stay with us on Detroit Today.